0: to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And
1: I'm Ira Kreisman.
0: And on this episode, we will wrap up our conversation on Final Fantasy VI. Uh, A bit of a somber goodbye, we must say, to one of our favorite video games, or really stories of any kind, ever. And so we're going to take one last opportunity here. Now, of course, we're still gonna talk about Final Fantasy VI in the future when it makes sense to in relation to other games, and in some crossover episodes we do where we talk about some of the bigger themes that cross all of the games. But for now, we're gonna take one last in-depth look at some of the big themes, some of the big questions, and try to do our best to explain what this game means uh, to us personally, and as a piece of art, our our best ability to try to break this thing down and to measure it seems like the wrong word entirely, but uh, certainly to appreciate uh, what it is meant to video gaming, uh, to storytelling, and, and to us. So whenever we begin a new game, we ask a series of big questions, and I want us to jump back into those, though honestly, uh, this game is so upfront with its themes that uh, a lot of this, I feel like during the course of the plot we talked about, so we'll go over some of it again. But I want to add a new big question before we get into those, sort of related to how we covered this, a kind of meta question, which is essentially this. We spent anywhere from four to six or seven episodes on the first five games in the series, Uh, maybe even a little bit longer on Chrono Trigger. And then we spent now about 12 to 14 here on Final Fantasy VI. And The big question I have for the two of us is, is that because this was the first Final Fantasy game that we truly played through? As we've mentioned before, we've fiddled around with others, but for all intents and purposes, this is our first. And it's just because the nostalgia of how much we love this one. Or is there something about the content of the art itself that lends to a bit more of a deeper dive, a bit longer of a conversation?
1: i don't feel like i know the answer to that question (laughs) i uh certainly nostalgia is a big part of it for me i do love this game very much i have played it more than just about any other game i'm a big fan but also i think that the questions it asks about you know how how do we deal with situations like this the the big situations but also the small situations I had not been asked those questions by a video game before. I'd been asked them by books. And, and that's one of the reasons I loved and still love to read. But this this was the first game that did that for me. And so you know, that might tie to the nostalgia, but I do think that there is something about this game that maybe Final Fantasy one through five hinted at strove toward. But this one reached it in a different way. And I'm, like I said, I'm not sure that's an
0: answer. No, I, th- I think it's great. I actually wholeheartedly concur. And another thing I'll say is I don't want to paint nostalgia in a negative light here either. We, we've sort of touched on this before, but I think one of the most common things for people that discuss this franchise and, and do compare the different games the most common way to decipher what someone's favorite Final Fantasy game is, typically it's their first, not always. And and I know there are probably a lot of people listening to this saying, hey, not me. And and I'm not sure that either of us would necessarily claim that Final Fantasy VI is our out-and-out favorite. I don't think either one of us would claim we have an out-and-out favorite, Though we'll get back to right. this conversation yeah. here in a minute. However, I think that speaks to the quality of the series and how much your first experience with it can be this raw and powerful thing. So even if there is some nostalgia to it, that's an okay thing as well. So as you mentioned a moment ago, there are a lot of big questions in this game. And I feel like, you know, as we're about to talk about here, again, maybe the some of the things that sets them apart from the big questions of prior games, other than Chrono Trigger, taking that and putting it aside a bit, is that these are a bit more complicated questions. And, and they're, they're also a lot more personal. I feel like in the first, you know, five Final Fantasy games, there's big conversations about... War and peace, right and wrong, uh, love and hate, and those are obviously very apparent here in Final Fantasy VI, but even the way it has a particular, you know, we've talked a lot about the nihilism, love versus nihilism, which was our big first theme to focus on, and we got into that, obviously, with the conclusion of the game. Kefka gives his sermon, and the returners are allowed to give their retort. That is this whole theme kind of summed up. And I feel like that gets into it more specifically and, and deeper, again, than probably any video game that had come before it. We, you always gotta carve out the exceptions, you know, for stuff we haven't played or, or don't know, but even having read through right. the history of some of this stuff, unless you're looking at like Earthbound and stuff, there's not a lot in this category.
1: I think you're right. I think we talked a lot about the love versus nihilism uh, throughout the plot theme character episodes. I do think it is just important to remember that, that according to Final Fantasy, and I think most empathetic people I know, that typically it is better to, to appreciate those around you uh, and not dive into the, the potentially destructive forces of nihilism.
0: Not that love can't hurt, but certainly not in the same way. Sure. And of course that's backed up by the other major theme kind of inside of that one, that it really it's just throughout the game, the found family. There there's no way to get around mm-hmm. it. Literally yeah. every character in this story comes to the team from some different past, some Different backstory, they all get explained and they have to come together. And it we've talked before about how it could seem very trite or very, you know, Power Rangers-y, very X-Men, very The Avengers, you know. Uh, th- this has been done before, but uh, I feel like it's really expertly crafted the way they managed to bring these 14 characters, some of whom are very different naturally into this story and no one feels like they're out of place
1: yeah found family is one of my favorite themes i will love it forever i i have used it in my own writing here and there uh, when i make the attempt yeah for me it is it is a how dare i say a favorite trope Uh, and and it's executed so well here and i think i think this game might be one of the reasons it is one of
0: my favorite tropes I think one of the things that drives that home is the nature of the way the story is told. We touched on this throughout, where the first five games in the franchise were very happy to be their own version of a fantasy fairy tale. Final Fantasy VI is decidedly different, both in its setting, being the steampunk, and in its operatic style it's melodrama that allows it to slow down and speed up to be equal parts dark and sad there's we've talked about characters families die river is poisoned the entire world is destroyed but there's also a lot of cartoonish humor mm-hmm. octopus <laughs> right maybe well, self-aware th- I,
1: I would kind of want to contrast that with final fantasy 5 because you said before that you think five is is more the fairy tale kind of story, and Final Fantasy Six is more the opera kind of story, right? Yeah You know, assuming I understand your dichotomy here correctly, I would say Final Fantasy has the humor and the melodrama, but but uh, leans more heavily on the melodrama, whereas Final Fantasy Five has both the humor and the melodrama, but leans toward the humor. Right, like in Final Fantasy V, when Sildra is killed, you know the second time, it is it's extraordinarily sad. Right. Right. When when Golov cannot remember his his granddaughter. Right. That is sad. When the girls uh, finally see the the ghost of their father, that is sad. But we've also got Bart's like poking the great sage Guido, who is a turtle, and mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. uh, Golov and Zizat making puns at each other during combat, and it, it really does lean more toward that side of things, is that what makes or, or or does it at least hint at that fairy tale opera dichotomy you're talking about?
0: I think so. Absolutely. You know, we've talked a lot about the idea of adapting these as television shows. And I, again, I don't know that you have to accept the premise that any show needs to exist entirely in one feel or genre or whatever. But I think if you were doing these, your kind of status quo, most television shows, however they're done, you know, they want to put you back into some kind of status quo. You want to know a little bit of what you're sure. expecting when you sit down to watch this thing. And in the world of Final Fantasy V, you you take detours. And, and I would even argue this is true, honestly. it, it Like, Chrono Trigger toes this line really well. Uh, but I think it goes back to the humorous, cartoonish side. It, it wants to put you in that comfortable Place whereas Final Fantasy VI, its status quo, while you might have for a moment Ultra shows up and do, does something crazy, or Sabin says, Do you think a little thing like the end of the world could stop me? and cracks a little joke and talks about being a bear. Our status quo comes back to a world that's being driven apart by encroaching fascism, powered by experimentation due to bigotry, racism, and ultimately a nihilism that suggests only the most powerful people alive are the ones who deserve to be alive. And so it's just very serious, obviously, right? Fair enough, yeah. Now, one of the last big questions that we posed at the beginning was this notion of killing God. And what does Final Fantasy have to say about organized religious belief. And I don't think there's honestly a ton of that in Final Fantasy VI because it's mostly in its symbolism. And if it's there, and it may well mm-hmm. be, you, you've got to dig for it. Sure.
1: I'm, I'm reminded a bit of another game around that time, Breath of Fire. I mean, at least I'm pretty sure it's Breath of Fire. There is a church, and the church is anti-dragon, and, and those are the people who come after our hero and his family at the beginning. And it's a little more on the nose because there is a big religious organization, whereas in 6, there's no religion to be found.
0: Right. And, and really, the religious imagery that shows up comes basically at the end of the game. And I think you can make, actually, a pretty easy argument that whatever imagery is here is about the corruption of, Of religion. Really, Kefka has appointed himself a false god, I think, quite clearly. And in fact, nihilism, nihilism, is originally an outright rejection of Christian morality. And so, in that way, now there are interesting conversations to come about Final Fantasy critiquing organized religion in particular, I think. Christianity, but I honestly think your best symbolic read here is actually the opposite, that Kefka is particularly a perversion of Christianity. He stands for the opposite, literally the exact opposite of Christian morality, and therefore, if anything, if, if you're reading the religious imagery in here, though you do kind of kill a god at the end of this game, you're you're killing the false god, the, the embodiment of Satan. Sure, and that isn't to say that there
1: weren't uh, deific beings or beings of deific power in this world. We have the uh, the warring triad, right? The what is it? The poltergeist, the goddess, and the demon, potentially. Depending on your translation, right? So there were beings of that power, but they weren't really worshipped. They were they were put away. They put themselves away, and then they they were sort of not shoved aside and forgotten because people remember the War of the Magi, but certainly nobody revered that because they represented conflict and we were trying to move away from that, at least to some degree.
0: Right. And so because there's no actual organized religion to be found in the world, I think that's about as deep as you can take that one. But I do think you see here the the creators starting to toy with the ideas and the themes sure. that you know well, there's something to be discussed here.
1: I, I have a question for you on this because you're our philosophy expert. So mm-hmm. if if nihilism was sort of born out of rejecting the morality of uh, a god, uh, maybe even specifically the Christian god, and Kefko represents that nihilism, so he represents, he, or he has a A a godlike being born from a rejection of uh, a Christian God, right? Right. So, so that's like a deliberate—that's a a deliberate juxtaposition. So, usually, when philosophers are talking about killing God, they're not necessarily saying, and therefore, no morality. Maybe some of them are, but the way I have understood it, this goes back to our nihilism versus existentialism conversation. Sometimes. Killing God is about removing this constant audience whose approval a person must always seek so that people can live for a more true morality, and I'm, I'm using air quotes, nobody here can see me, but a more true morality where uh, you are uh, virtuous for the sake of virtue, right? Uh, right? I'm having flashbacks to the good place now. Uh, fantastic show. So yeah. so is that part of what our authors are getting at? Like, here here's this God born out of a philosophy of rejecting God, but we are rejecting this God be, because we are virtuous? I don't know. Did I go off the rails there?
0: No, I, I don't think so. And I think, if anything, it's the the way the world of ruin was presented as this place where nobody... Has free will. And so I think if you were making an argument that Final Fantasy VI is more anti-God or anti-particular concepts of God than than I was just a moment ago, you would make this argument that because Kefka is all powerful now, nobody in this world truly has free will. If they can be sure. murdered at any moment in time. Because they do something that one person doesn't like.
1: That's that vengeful audience that is always making you be whatever his version of Moral is.
0: Right. And so I think if you wanted to extrapolate on that, you could say Final Fantasy VI makes the argument that any such being with that amount of power is not something that's a good thing. Whether that be Kefka or some other concept of god that any anybody with a judgment of light or whatever the right the the light yeah yeah that that's not a, a good thing for certainly for free will or applications of you know true love as the game would argue and i and i think there's a there's probably a decent argument to be made there as well the Symbolism does contrast it a little bit, but if you get into things like Final Fantasy X, which we obviously eventually will, mm-hmm. uh, some of those things are driven home, I think, a bit more clearly.
1: Right, right. And in Final Fantasy One, it was preordained, but they started to make the choice. In Final Fantasy Fifteen, there's some questions about yeah, who who's got uh, agency
0: between Arden and Noctis and Bahamut. Right. What's interesting is, you know, we talked about in the Chrono Trigger episode, if Time Traveler becomes God because Time Traveler can have such an undue influence over the outcomes of world events. I wonder if our heroes of Final Fantasy VI would see the heroes of Chrono Trigger as too powerful they're doing it for the right it's it's different like intent is obviously the complete opposite right but
1: right well and and the heroes of like the heroes of final fantasy 6 never say that kefka has to be stopped because he's too powerful that's never their argument their argument is always you're nihilistic and we love each other and you can go right to the phantom zone
0: All right, let's jump into the hardest part of this, which is trying to analyze something like this as a piece of art as objectively as we can, especially for sure. something like this, which you we just love. We very much obviously have a, a personal attachment to. Uh, but we have our, our little rubric out here that we set out almost 50 episodes ago now. and. Wow. I know, right? It's kind of crazy to, to think about. And then there's some interesting ways that I think, you know, the, and I think it's time to open up this conversation too. And, and we did this a little bit with 4 and certainly with Chrono Trigger, but the greatest games in the series, the greatest games of all time, I'm more into ranking than you are, but That's always a part of thinking about this stuff as we go through these. And and I'm going to be doing more comparing to future games now. So it's going to be half the conversation at times because we won't get into those deeper until later, obviously. But I want to begin actually on that weird originality spectrum that we've set out before talking about. Sometimes I talk about from Ocean's Eleven to The Departed, which is basically like from really well-crafted, but with no original ideas, Ocean's Eleven, to a really well-crafted, but with no new ideas <laughs> in the department. Yeah. Th- this particular, like, like I love that you
1: have this uh, set of dichotomies, but I need you to explain it to me every time.
0: Right, and, and, and it's a little bit weird. Whereas something like Speed Racer is a movie that I think has a ton of great original new ideas. There's almost nothing else like it. But it's also not especially well executed. Um, And then you've got, I I think, the best example from the film world that I can think of that is both filled with original ideas and extraordinarily well executed. And that's the movie Blade Runner. There, There are several others that you could think of. So for me, this is one of the few places where Final Fantasy VI isn't as close to the Blade Runner end of the spectrum as, say, Final Fantasy VII or X that I think have bigger, more ambitious, more original ideas. On the other hand... I do think that Final Fantasy VI might be the least flawed game in the franchise.
1: So I remember being in high school and being in marching band and having our marching band teacher, who I have many fond memories of, I don't want to say this like it's a mean negative thing about him, but he would talk about playing to win versus playing not to lose.
0: Yeah, this is big in sports. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is that, like, do you aim to be the game without
0: flaws? You framed that so phenomenally well, I I think for the next game we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> because uh. I don't necessarily think so. We We've talked about, we've got our five big categories for analyzing art, and I numbered them from five to one in the way that I prioritize them, and flaws are fifth on the list for precisely that reason, that you, know, you can make something simpler. But this is something I do think that casual audiences oftentimes lose, because it's easier to sit and pick holes in something that has flaws and talk about what doesn't work about somebody else's creation, because there's almost always going to be Things that just don't work quite as well in your plot, in your music, in your characterization, in your gameplay. And the bigger your ideas, the more things you're trying to do, the more you're opening yourself up to as flaws. In fact, one of the few flaws in this game, we both agreed when we were talking about it. I think maybe the only thing we both looked at and both just said objectively, this is bad and dumb, is the Colosseum. Yeah. Which is 100% optional. <laughs> dumb. It's 100% optional and dumb. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, but those are the kinds of things you can look at and go, yeah, that's broken. That's bad. It's unfortunate that that's in there. Would the game be better if it just wasn't in there at all? That's a weird philosophical question you have to ask yeah. yourself.
1: Well, but, but, but like we have talked about, I think we agree on this, that generally you want your art to take risks, to be bold. Magic the Gathering, a card game that I very much love and have collected for many years, will occasionally do something new and weird and, and unexpected and unprecedented within the game. And it's always met with suspicion and they're killing the game and this is never going to work. But also, I don't know, it's also kind of cool. Like it, it's always met with both of those things whenever they do something big and weird and different. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. Uh, and so I am generally of the opinion that, yeah, sometimes they're going to have to ban some cards. You know, they, sh- they should not have made that card. It's too powerful. Get rid of it. Or, or maybe uh, they, they, will, they did a really artistic frame when they did the Egyptian-themed set. But the cards were illegible. It was difficult to tell what was going on. So those, uh, I would call... So you
0: appreciate the attempt.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that they were bold, even if sometimes they have to say, yeah, that one was a mistake.
0: I am I feel like... Which is how I feel about the battle system of Final Fantasy VIII, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Fair enough, fair enough. So I feel like
1: with six, if we say it is one of the least flawed games in the series, I don't want to also conflate that with they weren't being bold. Maybe they weren't being bold in the game mechanics, but I do think it is a very bold story.
0: I agree with you. I think when you compare it with particularly 7, 8, and 10, it's not as bold or ambitious, but you've also got to do this for the time and recognize what was possible. I think you can very easily make the argument. And, you know, we went over at the very beginning where a bunch of different publications rank these, not that we take those as the gospel at all, but there's a reason why people whose jobs it is to write about video games, both their modern ones and and the history of them, continue to rank Final Fantasy VI as one of the greatest games of all time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you can make the argument That for 2D gaming, a whole generation that basically exists before this and up to this moment, this is the quintessential achievement of 2D gaming. It's this and Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. I really think are the two pieces of art that, if you're going to hold up from this era, not of like, you know, the original Super Mario Bros. changed, it would have, we'll get to industry impact in a minute. So I'm maybe getting ahead of myself here. But I think it's lack of flaws does work in its favor. I do think casual audiences and and people whose job it is to objectively measure this stuff are always going to overrate how much a game having a lack of flaws or a movie or a TV show having a lack of flaws, you know, they're always going to try and go through and find all the plot holes or the, you know, dropped loose ends in the story or the little things that might not make sense as opposed to focusing on the big ideas. Um, so I do think you're right. Final Fantasy VI has big ideas, and that's why at number four for our analyzing art categories, its cultural impact yes. has been massive. Yes. What blows me away is that for a game that did not sell as many copies as the next ten in the franchise... Really? Yeah, this is uh, you could. Yeah, because I've bought this game like four or five times. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but no, it's it is what you might call a a cult classic. But for the people who have played it across the board, it is beloved. It is the music from it is. remixed and rearranged as much as any game in the history of video gaming sure
1: yeah all sorts of fan art
0: other than final fantasy 7 if you're gonna see people at a convention walking around in cosplay 6 is probably the most common well also 15 now speaking of which at the local
1: comic con here in mesa county uh, I saw a couple of cosplayers of Final Fantasy. One was Prompto, but the other one was Locke.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, I thought that was super cool. So, um, while it doesn't have the reach to have had the cultural impact of some of the other games, again, if you, if you were doing like a a percentage percentage of people who've played it who've loved it. The, As much as, you know, I'll battle with people about 7 or 8 or 10, because there are more flaws in those games, there are more people who've played them and been like, eh, this really isn't for me. Which, fair enough. Sure. Other than it being a 2D Super Nintendo game, which generally means people can't get past the first couple of hours. I don't know anyone who's played all of Final Fantasy VI, completed it, and been like, nah, I didn't enjoy that. That wasn't for me. Sure, yeah. And that's probably because at number three, crafted as art, it succeeds in every category. If you were doing the ranking on a scale of one to ten for gameplay, art, art design, music, music design, visuals, storytelling, characters. Animation, animation,
1: the uh, themes. I wish that uh, Final Fantasies one through five would be remade with two D sprites, but not have the tiny sprites when you're on the world map. So they could have the same, uh, or or in the town map, so they could have the same expressions and the finger wagging and right? the and the all the stuff that Final Fantasy six does with its
0: two D sprites. It was a technical masterpiece of its time. It is in every way brilliantly crafted. I don't know that you could give it lower than a nine in any of the categories I just mentioned. At number two, let's get to one where it, through no fault of its own, hasn't succeeded as much as other games in the franchise, and that's industry impact. Sure. Uh, As much as you can go back and still play it to this day and say this is phenomenal, it hasn't really been copycatted right it didn't set a new age of green-haired female heroes or steampunk fantasy stories unfortunately right. i wish it had <laughs> started in cool. a new age of fantasy steampunk stories and in some ways it actually allows final fantasy 6 to remain unique to this day because it hasn't like Akira or Final Fantasy VII have been copycatted to death. And in right. some ways that allows people to dislike them. Well, and you see Cloud everywhere, right?
1: He's, he's in his right. own games and he's in his own spin off games, but he's also in Super Smash Brothers, right? Right. Uh, he plays yeah. a big role in Kingdom Hearts. And, you know, so, and that's great. I love Cloud. He's a cool dude. But,
0: eh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, in some ways that that is in its favor, but, you know, I do think it's... When you're talking about a piece of art that's maybe a cornerstone of its industry, of its medium, uh, this is one place where there are other games in the franchise that do outshine 6. The first game... Which is almost always going to be right. part of it. That, that's a bias that I know a lot of people get frustrated by. It's the old Beatles thing. Right.
1: Or the first Star Wars is the best Star Wars or whatever.
0: Right. Which is not necessarily the case, but they there's always going to be a higher potential for you to impact the industry because less of the story of the industry has been written. Right. I think the strongest argument for Six here is that it set the stage. Well... It didn't do what the next game in the franchise would do, which is prove that storytelling and gaming is commercially viable. It did prove that you can achieve excellence with narrative and characterization at the very center of your video game. And so it kind of set the stage for the next era of gaming.
1: Well, let me ask you about that, because I think you're right, but I want to compare it to the previous five. I feel like f- the center of five was the job system. Much as I enjoy that story and those kooky characters, job system's at the center, right? Agreed. I feel like one through three have, have similar situations. Again, interesting stories. We talked about them a lot, but one, it was the first one. Two, they went a totally different route with the mechanics, which took center stage three, also job system, but four... Four yeah. also made a big push toward character-driven storytelling right. in the center of the game, uh, or as, as the central core of the game. How would you compare four to six in this regard?
0: This is always so tough, and this is where I wonder if the personal bias does come in because we had played six first. I do think because 6 has the big questions as well as the more personal ones, um, you know, I feel like if we were writing the series of Final Fantasy 4, we would have to reach a little bit and extrapolate a little bit on who some of the main characters were in their personal lives, in their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the main central Cast, but some of the outside characters. Where with six, I feel like they're so fleshed out. They're so human. Obviously human. Does that make you know does that make sense how sure. I'm saying that? Yeah. Um, and and so I love the cast of four. I do think they fit a little bit more into that fantasy trope of adventurers off to save the world where Six is a more ragtag group of people. And and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I, and I, I think probably the fairest way to frame it would be to say that both Four and Six, and, and they're remembered this way, and throw in a few other games from outside the franchise. We're not experts on those. I mentioned Legend of Zelda, Link to the right. Past. Yeah. The Super Nintendo was a massive step forward for video games. And people were just starting to experiment with these ideas. And And I think those, you know, as much as Super Metroid, which is considered one of the best games on the Super Nintendo 2, that was t- taking leaps forward and dungeon building and level design and those kinds of things. Zelda and Final Fantasy were starting to show us that amazing stories can be told in video games that really do as you talked about at the beginning get to us get at us as as human beings and that right after them we would then take this step into 3d and be able to get so much more cinematic with it just you know we were off to the races i love going to the races and that's Why, at number one, for me, the most important thing and the reason why I think it shows up on all of these lists and the reason why you and I do go back to it over and over again, the cultural commentary. You can play Final Fantasy VI and find a message to your life right now, whether you're playing it when you were 12 years old for the first time or 33 years old for the 15th time. There's something about this story and these characters that are, I don't know, what's the word? Timeless?
1: Timeless would be good.
0: There's one other thing I want to kind of put out there on the table for how do we measure these games against each other or against themselves. And I'll say this to you now, for me. Final Fantasy VI is a top three Final Fantasy game of all time. I ordering my top three, and I know you you even would have a hard time conceptualizing that. I <laughs> 6, 7, and 10 to me do stand a little bit apart from the rest. And one of the ways that I think about that is boiling it down to quintessential moments awe-inspiring moments. When I think of any individual Final Fantasy game, what jumps out to me? And six, you could have a top ten list of moments from this game. The opening, the first time Figaro Castle changes, the poisoning of Doma, when the world is destroyed, the opera... Celeste getting off of the island. The conclusion. I skipped over, like, I skipped over the phantom train, for crying out loud. (laughs) I, I think this game is filled with memorable moments, unforgettable characters, themes that resonate with everybody that may not be the most difficult and challenging themes in the world but they resonate with everyone with an
1: empathetic heart. Yeah, resonating with my empathy is a good way to make me love a thing. So despite me not liking to rank things, I have been put in positions in my life where I have to, I am required to. And the most notable that I'm sure you're familiar with is speech and debate. I have, I judged speech and debate for over a decade. Uh, and for part of that time, I was a, I was a coach. But uh, when I took kids to nationals, I was required to judge other events. And so I judge drama and humor and, and uh, LD and PF and so on. In the interpretive events, humor, drama, duo, you are required to rank them in the room. And it can be extraordinarily difficult. The difference between first place and second place, sometimes you just, you just got to decide. Right You have to rank them. I am required to rank them. Right. So there was an instance at Nationals where the top three people in the room were amazing. I could find a difference I, it, was, it was extraordinarily difficult to choose first, second, and third. In the end, I gave it to I gave first to the one that made me cry. And it's because what you were just talking about, that empathetic resonance. I love the movies that make me feel something. Minor spoilers for Endgame, but uh, on your left, she'll have backup. And I am Iron Man. Like, that's what sticks with me, and Final Fantasy 6 is the first one in the series that resonates that deeply with me. It sucks to lose Sildra. Uh, it sucks to see uh Tella die and Sid die and the twins turn to stone.
0: Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the closest, I think, for me. palamon Purim I think was the most emotional moment in the franchise, but it doesn't come that close to Celeste on the island. Well right. or So so Cyan standing at the edge of the pier having to watch his family board the train to the other side. Right.
1: So so I guess what I'm trying to say is that the other games do have those moments. But Final Fantasy VI is that moment.
0: Mm.
1: At least for me it is.
0: 6 is considered one of the greatest entries in the series, and indeed in all of video game history, and for good reason.
1: Even if one is disinclined towards such rankings, it is hard to deny that it stands out from its peers as a uniquely brilliant achievement in gaming, and more broadly, as a piece of art.
0: While well, mind blowing at the time, The visuals and some audio of FF6 can be a barrier for modern audiences. But beyond the technical limitations, there are few faults to be found. It may not be the most ambitious or challenging set of concepts in the series, but is probably the most flawlessly executed.
1: It was the perfect send-off for a golden era of gaming and set the stage for a new wave of narrative-driven games that would ultimately change the way the entire medium is perceived.
0: Arguably the finest example of storytelling from the 2D age, especially through the building of its world and unforgettable cast of characters, the tale of the Returners against the Empire dares to ask a big question. What can we do in the face of tyranny, bigotry, fascism, and nihilistic oppression? It also asks, personal
1: questions. How do we move on after the loss of a loved one? How do we wrestle with our own failures? How do we continue to have hope when the world has fallen into despair?
0: Perhaps an answer can be found in the heroes of Final Fantasy VI.
1: Tara teaches us to be patient with ourselves and others, even when we feel detached and isolated. She teaches us that it is okay to be different okay to be an outsider, and even if you feel like you don't belong in this world, you can make a place for yourself. She teaches us that pursuit of love, in all its forms, is far more noble and challenging than the pursuit of power.
0: Locke teaches us there is adventure in love, and love in adventure. He teaches us when to let go and when to hold on. Edgar
1: shows us that nobility is an ongoing action, and that finding your family
0: can save the world. Sabin is a great muscle-bound bear with a heart of gold who won't let the breaking of the world stop him from helping people, and even finding humor and warmth in cold and serious times.
1: Cyan demonstrates that even stoic masculine men love their families, and that sometimes the best advice you can follow Is the advice you offer someone else
0: shadow even the coldest of hearts the saddest of backstories he shows can produce a warrior of light
1: gao (laughs) gao man gao responded to a single show of kindness with undying love for his new family do not underestimate the people who express their love more with actions than with words
0: Setzer teaches that no matter how fast or far you fly, you cannot outrun your mistakes. Sometimes you've got to stop, take a chance, and face your past.
1: Realm reminds us that children and artists see beauty in the world, even a destroyed world. Protect them.
0: Strago is an old man, both foolish and wise. He's got a lot still left to do, and I hope to enjoy the same privilege one day. Go-Go, in this world or the next,
1: whenever you can, seek to emulate the Warriors of Light.
0: Bumaro, if you have strength to spare and a thick skin, use it to help the (laughs) Moogles. Speaking of which, I know it's just a gameplay
1: mechanic, but there has got to be something to be said for a Moogle dancing in
0: the face of fascism, right? Of course. And Celeste our hero teaches us that it takes courage to be strong, but also to be soft. It takes strength to stand upon a stage and to stand up to tyrants. It is possible to lose everything and still get on that life raft.
1: There is nothing else quite like Final Fantasy VI. Neither the first five, nor the next nine games in the series, nor any television show, film, or book can replace the unique experience of spending time in this world
0: and with these characters. Final Fantasy VI is poignant. It is memorable. It is timeless.
1: It is a story of how, if we don't stop trying and never give in to the darkness, we can avoid repeating senseless and deadly mistakes.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us at finalfantasyweekly@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We are also now on Patreon. While the podcast is free to listen to on Archive.org or on Patreon, if you actually want to download the episodes, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Join us next time when we begin our conversation on maybe the most talked-about video game ever made.